Yeah, it's good to be back here on campus, and I want to say thank you once again to um, Christian Dashell, who has been in contact and makes it possible for me to be here with students. And I want to also say special hi to those guys who went to Ghana. Where are you? The guys from Ghana. Yay! Glad that you went to Ghana. And I hope you really like it. It's always a joy. It's always a joy to be on college campuses and to talk about mission. The great commission that God has given unto us, that good news. The good news has been given to us. It's not just given, but it has been invested in us. Those of us who have been given grace are also called to be servants of grace to others. And so when it comes to mission, I am just so excited because it is that which brings life to others. You know, when my son was just three years old, anytime I washed the car, he would like to wash with me three, four years, and I allow him to do so. But in fact, he was really not helping much. He was actually in the way, but I just allowed him to, to help in his own way. And so one time after washing the car, the illustration that came from the Lord to me was this, that look, I've also got great job to do. I've got work. And all that I want you to do is to partner with me in doing that. And he says, even though you stand in the way and you mess things up, it's okay. I want you to partner with me. So you see, God has this great job for us to do. There are many in our communities who do not know the Lord. And our hearts should break for those that do not have this hope. There are many around the world that do not know the Lord, and God is calling each one of us to partner with him. We're really not working for God. He wants us to work with him and to bring about redemption to the rest of the world. And that's what SIM has been doing over 120 years Today we have about 4,000 missionaries and Christian workers from 60 different nationalities. That's what I like about our mission, 60 different nationalities, and we are in 70 countries doing different kinds of ministry. And I want you to stop by the table uh, today, and let's have some chat together and see what God, through you, would do to impact the world for him. And as we come to the word of God, i like to pray. Our Father, we come to your word this morning, and we do thank you for the privilege and the freedom that we have to come together freely and to have fellowship with one another, 
but above all, to have fellowship with you. Now, Holy Spirit, come and do just what you want to do. Speak your word with authority and power. We thank you for scripture that goes and never return to you void. Lord, use your word today and let it bear fruit, and that to the glory and honor of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I understand you're going through the book of Isaiah, and the portion that I've been given to look at today is Isaiah 52, 13 to 15, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. 13 to 15, Isaiah 52. says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of my kind, so that he sprinkled many nations. Cain's shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have heard, they understand. And from this scripture this morning, the big idea that I want you to take away, the central truth that I want you to take away is this. The servant of the Lord brings salvation to many nations. The servant of the Lord brings salvation to many nations. Verse 13 begins with, Behold my servant. And in fact, when you read from this 13th chapter of um, Isaiah 52, through the whole chapter 53 of Isaiah, the prophet here focuses attention on the seventh, the seventh of the Lord. And in fact, you would also have noticed that Previously, this servant has been spoken about in Isaiah 42 and 49. And throughout the book of Isaiah, you see, many have been called, many have been called servants of the Lord in one way or the other. Some who have been called servants of the Lord in this book is Isaiah himself. Elijah came when we read Isaiah 22, David was called the servant of the Lord, and Israel, the nation Israel, the servant of the Lord. But there is no doubt that this title is also used for Jesus Christ himself. And how do we know that? You see, when we come to the New Testament, and you remember the story in Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian Enoch, when he was traveling after worshiping in Jerusalem and was getting back home, the angel of the Lord went to Philip and said, you go back that road, the road from Jerusalem to, to Gaza, which is about 50 miles. And when he went, the angel of the Lord told him again to go closer to this Ethiopian Enoch that was riding in a, a chariot going back home. 
And the portion of scripture that he was reading is part of what we are looking at today. And when you look at verse 34, when um, Philip went close to him and asked him, do you really understand what you're reading? And this is his response. He says, but about whom I ask, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip explained the gospel about Jesus Christ. And this Ethiopian Enoch came to know the Lord and asked on the way to be baptized. So this portion of scripture we are talking about this morning, the seventh, we shouldn't miss it. It is Jesus Christ himself. In fact, the New King James Version correctly capitalizes seventh, referring to Jesus himself. And again, Matthew Quoting from Isaiah 42, you remember again that this servant was talked about in Isaiah 42. And quoting uh, him in the context was this. When Jesus has done so much miracle in the day, then the people decided they would grab him and crown him king. And uh, Matthew 12, 15 to 21 says, Jesus, aware of this, he withdrew from there. And many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And he says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he would proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And this was fulfilled about Jesus Christ. And so the servant that we're talking about here is Christ himself. But interestingly, the second part of verse 13 to 14 says this. The prophet here points to two opposing but mutually inclusive characterization of the seventh. And these two opposing characteristics is his exaltation and humiliation. How can these two be together? So you look at verse 13 and he says, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. You see, folks, some of the very first words that God put in the mouth of the prophet regarding his servant is to declare his victory. Are we together? Is to declare his victory. It means that the Messiah will triumph And there is no doubt about that. And before his suffering was announced, his glorious triumph was assured. And all of us who are in Christ, those that he has bought with his precious blood, we share 
in this victory. Yes, we do. If this were an African church, there would be a roar, a shout. We share in that victory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We share in that victory. And you see, in all our battles as Christians, as children of God, you see, we fight not for victory, but we fight from the standpoint of victory. We are victorious in him. We share in that victory. In fact, in Christ, we have victory over Satan. Revelation 12, 11 says that they, became, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The saints are ultimately victorious. In Christ, we also have victory over the world. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says, Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. The believer is a victor. It's a conqueror over the invisible and spiritual system of this world. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, the world that we see is not all that there is. There is spiritual warfare that goes on within this world that we see. But those of us who are in Christ have that victory over the spiritual evil system of this world. Satan, we have victory over him too. So you look carefully at this verse, 1 John 5 and 4 you would see that it reveals a present tense, which means that a Christian continually is having victory over this world. So it's a habitual tense that those of us who are in Christ have this victory over the world. And not only that, we have victory over death. You see, immediately upon receiving salvation, The Christian overcomes death. Do you believe that? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57 says this. You see, when this corruptible shall have put on the incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But Paul says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a good friend, an East African friend. Anytime I say thank you to him, he wants to say you are, all, you are, you are most welcome. He ends up saying you are almost welcome. You see, Paul here says thank you to God. And all of us, all of us 
have reason to say, thank God that we have this victory in him. But again, brothers and sisters, you see, this victory came at a very expensive price. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken our hearts and spirits this morning to appreciate how expensive that victory came to us. And because of that, we shall be on fire of bringing this victory to those that are still in captivity. This victory came with a very expensive price. You see, when you look at verse 14, he says that his appearance was marred. And he looked beyond human human appearance. He looked so awkward. In fact, when you read from the NIV, verse 14 says this. It says that his appearance was so disfigured. And here he's talking about the cruel and vicious beating that Jesus Christ endured at the hands of his enemies. That's how he won the victory for us. Jesus was so beaten so badly that his face was hardly able to be looked at as that of a human being. The result was so shocking and many were astonished when they saw Jesus. And this is how Matthew records it. In Matthew 27, 27 to 31, he says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And listen carefully. He says, All they did was they gathered the whole battalion before him. And remember, this is the king of kings. This is God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. And they stripped him. Can you imagine that? They stripped God. And they put a scarlet rope on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. They spit on God. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the rope and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. You see, Isaiah is talking about this victory, but the victory came with a very expensive price. This is what the prophet Isaiah is talking about here, that he was so severely beaten that his face was disfigured beyond human recognition. 
And I hope that we would not take the salvation that we have in Christ for granted. It came with a very expensive price. And he has not just saved us for the sake of it, so that we can also carry this good news to others that do not know him. And to close in verse 15, he says that he shall sprinkle many nations. So sprinkling is often associated with cleansing from sin in the Old Testament. And so you see, brothers and sisters, the Messiah is certainly Israel's Messiah. Yet, he belongs to more than Israel. His saving, cleansing work will extend beyond Israel to many nations. And this is where mission comes in. Do you know that there are more than 7 billion people living on the planet today. Seven billion. And out of that, we are told that 2.9 billion do not know the Lord. That should break our hearts. And some of these live in our own communities. Some are members of our families. What are we doing? about that. Out of these 2.9 billion, 1.3 billion of them are Muslims. They need the Lord. Maybe the Lord might be preparing you to go to these hard, difficult places because there is no price that is greater than what we have seen in this video. What can we give back to the King of Kings? to be obedient to his great commission and take the gospel to those that do not know him. There are 860 million Hindus and they believe in over one million gods. 275 million are Buddhists. The Lord might be calling you to minister to this. And in closing, this is what Paul says in Romans 12, um, Romans 10, 13 to 15. He makes some very pertinent statements and he asks very penetrating questions about reaching out to those that do not know the Lord. This is Paul. And you know how much Paul also has suffered for the gospel. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do we believe that? See, sometimes we read scriptures and we really don't believe it. Everyone, every soul 
that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see, it really gets at me. You see, those of us who know Christ, we know where to take our burdens and our problems. When times are difficult, we know that we can go to God and cast our burdens before him and he hears us. Have you asked yourself, how do people that do not have Christ cope with life? How are they doing? How are they faring? And then Paul goes on to say, he says, how then would they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news. I would like to have some dialogue and conversations with you today as you stop by the table, by the dining hall, and let's reason together, have some dialogue. How can you participate in this great commission? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we do thank you, Lord, for your word. Yes. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that supervised the writing of your word. And also the Holy Spirit, the great teacher that teaches your word too. Thank you, Father, for what you have reminded us about today. Lord, about that great salvation. And Lord, about the suffering, the crucifixion, the death of your son. That which the enemy thought was victory your son rose again and he lives and never to die. And he has reconciled us to himself and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. I pray, dear Lord, that we would not take this for granted. We have this one life to live and it will soon be gone. May we invest our lives Lord, in doing that which matters, becoming your ambassadors, your, represent, your representatives, Lord, wherever you place us. Help us to be involved in local evangelism here. And Father, that we would also be involved in a global ministries. So I commit your people today into your hands. Pray, Lord, that you bless them and give each one here just the heart 
to be obedient. We thank you, Father, for this time of fellowship with one another and also fellowship with you, the living God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.